Shalom, shalom, everyone, and welcome once again. This is your friend and pastor, Ela Hernandez, founder of Yeshiva Bet Navid, a Bible institute here in the city of Woonsocket, Rhode Island, an institute which focuses to teach the scripture from a Hebraic Jewish perspective. This week's Torah portion is titled Tetzaveh, and the meaning of the word Tetzaveh is you should command. I would like to take this moment to speak to you about different elements that we get to see in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. Different things that are also revealed in the Mishkan. Different things that are commanded also in this Torah portion for the Mishkan. I would like to speak about the Shekinah, which is known as the visible presence of God. I would like to also speak about the oil for the lamp that is used and eventually last but not least, about the priestly garments. In this week's portion, Tetzaveh, which, which we read in the book of Exodus, chapter 27, verse 20, the Creator tells Moses to command the children of Israel to provide pure olive oil to feed what is called the everlasting flame of the menorah. It's during this this week's portion also that the creator explained to Moses the principles of the priestly garments worn by the Kohanim, the priest. Now, this part of the portion, I need you to understand that it's a continuance of last week's Torah portion titled Terumah. I don't know if you remember, but just to give you a reminder and refresh your memory, I'm going to read from the book of Shemot, book of Exodus chapter 25, verse 2. To eight, and it says the following Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution, a terumah, from every man whose heart moves him, you should receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you should receive from them gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twinny linen, goat's hair, ten rams, skin, goat skin. Acacia wood, oil for the lamb, spices for the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast, piece, uh, the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. This is so powerful, this ending part of the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 25, verse 2 to 8, that last verse. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And believe it or not, that's where we get the word Shekinah, because the word that appears there in Hebrew is Shekan. And in Judaism, the term Shekan or Shekinah is the Jewish analog to incarnation or manifestation of the invisible God. For example, when you read in the Talmud, in the section of Megillah 29.8, it says, When they, Israel, went into Egypt, the Shekinah went with them. In Babylon, the Shekinah was with them. The Rambam, in the 11th and 12th century, holds that the Shekinah can, what is known in Hebrew, Migashem, or Midgashem, which means to incarnate. On a corporal shape. As an Ashkenazi tradition has it, 
According to Exodus chapter 3 verse 2, they said, Know that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire out of a bush, referring to, the, to God himself. And something that sometimes we overlook is that when we read in scripture the title, Malach HaKavot, which is known as the angel of glory, this principle, according to Kabbalistic test, is applied to the very Shekinah of Elohim, to the very presence of God. So, if we read in context, what we get to learn is that, number one, we know that the Mishkan, the building of the Mishkan, the, the idea of the Mishkan, came after the rebellion of the Golden Calf. Yet, the Creator still wants to have relationship with His people, and He's asking the people, let them build me a sanctuary so I could dwell with them. In other words, the responsibility falls in the people. They are responsible to bring everything that is necessary for the Mishkan to be built. And not only it needs to be built, but it needs to be built according to the patterns, the principles, the measurements that the Creator is given to Moshe. Every single detail that God is given to Moses must be really applied at the moment of building the Mishkan. Now, <clears throat> most, if not all, of these items were not essential for the construction of a functional tent. I need you to understand that. Obviously, God did not want a tent that was merely functional. He commanded the Israelites to give items that would adorn and beautify the Mishkan and the priesthood. This is so powerful. The Creator is giving all these details to Moshe. Because the Mishkan is not only to be a building, but it needs to present the beauty of the Creator, the beauty of the heavens, and also it's applied to the priesthood. And we're going to talk about that later on. Now, <coughs> on this week's portion, the main concentration of the entire portion, if we read upon it, it has to do a lot with the oil for the lamps, it has to do with the menorah, it has to do with the priestly garments. But let's talk a little bit about the oil that it was set aside for the lambs. According to what we learn, when the Creator is asking the people to bring pure beaten olive oil for the light, is asking for an, a specific type of oil. According to Jewish tra tra tradition, only the first few drops of what is known in Hebrew as the shemen, the oil, the oil press from an olive, were to be used for the menorah, since this was considered to be the first fruit of the olives and the brightest of all oils. This is so powerful. According to Jewish tradition, obviously, this is not just any random oil. It has to be the first pressed, the first few drops of the oil that has been pressed from an olive. Those or that oil is the one that to, is to be used for the menorah since these were considered the first fruit of the olives and the brightest of oils. Now, the menorah was lit every afternoon and will burn throughout the night. Every morning, the Kohen, the priest, would enter the Kodesh section of the Mishkan to empty the ashes from the lambs and insert new wicks. However, Amidrash says that 
the westernmost light, which is the uh, um, what we know as the uh, in Hebrew as the Nerma Aravi, will remain burning, which was then used to light the other six lamps. Basically, similar to the way that we do on Hanukkah with the Shemash candle, which we use it to lit the other remaining candles of Hanukkah. Only after the other lamps were lit, would he blow out the near Ma'arvi, clear its ashes, and rekindle it. This is something interesting. If the people didn't provide oil, then there was no fire, no lamps, and basically there is a missing part from the people. And because there is a missing part from the people, the fulfillment or manifestation, the Shekhan of God, won't be present because all these principles have to be applied to the letter. Now, let's speak a little bit about the priestly garments that we get to read in the book of Exodus chapter 28, verse 2. And I don't know if you have heard people saying, it's not the outside that matters, only the heart matters, right? And we get to hear sometimes this other saying that says, do not judge a book by its cover. But in reality, believe it or not, the outside often reveals a lot about what's going on on the inside of many people. When you read <coughs> in, in Shemot, chapter 28, verse 2, says that you should make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. Now, there is different versions that we get to read. For example, when we read from the NIV, it says, make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. To be honest, NIV doesn't really come close to what actually the Hebrew text says according to the Masoretic text. Now, if we read from the New King James Version, it says, you should make a holy garment for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. That right there, my brother, is getting a lot closer to what the Hebrew text actually says. If you read from the complete, uh, complete Jewish Bible, it says you are to make for your brother Aaron garments set aside for serving God, expressing dignity and splendor. Now, the New King James Version and the C, uh, um, JB, the complete Jewish Bible, these two are very similar when you translate it or when you read from the Hebrew text. Now, when you read from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, you get a clear and more uh, simple idea of what the Creator is trying to tell us. It says from the Orthodox Jewish Bible, And thou shalt make Bidgei Kodesh for Aaron, thy brother, for Kavod and Tiferet. Now, Kavod, we already know what that word stands for. For example, when we speak about the Melech Kavod, the Angel of Glory, right? So Kavod stands for glory. But the word Tiferet, which is used in as one of the attributes of the of the creator based in the Tefirot, that word right there, Tiferet, is actually stands for something more than just beauty. It's actually splendor. It's actually a glory that is being manifested. And the reasons are obvious. The high priest, which is interesting because if you read according to the commandment, the high priest happens to wear eight different parts of his um, garment. There's eight different parts to it. Uh, a Kohen that it was not a high priest, he will wear four. But when it comes to the high priest, he represents a mediator, 
We could even say that he represents Messiah. And obviously we're talking about Messiah Yeshua. So according to the text, these garments are to represent not only the glory of God, but the splendor of his Mashiach, the splendor of Messiah. And when you get to read the details about the garments, the breastplates, and everything that is taking place, each one of these um, pieces that we get to see mentioned in the book of Exodus chapter 28 represents one attribute of the Creator. I'm not going to get to get into the stones and what actually they stand for, um, because there is a lot that I would like to cover as I continue uh, talking to you. But what I'm trying to say is that Aaron was not to just wear any random uniform to serve in the Mishkan. God wanted him to minister in garments that were skillfully woven and beautifully adorned. Simply put, the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth, is deeply concerned about an appreciative of beauty because these garments are more than just garments. This represents the glory and the different, the splendor of our Elohim. Now, last but not least, the more you read, the more you learn. You get to learn about the crowns of glory or the crown of glory uh, that we get to read in book of Exodus chapter 28, verse 36. It's also repeated in chapter 29, verse 6. But in chapter, in chapter 28, verse 37, 36 and 37 says, You should make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signal. And it says in Hebrew, Kadosh la Yehovah, Baruch Kavod la Yehovah, holiness to the Lord. And you should fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. Now, this crown as well is to represent not only the kingship of God, but also his priesthood. This crown of glory, this crown that represents not only the kingdom of God, but also his priestly attributes, is placed on the head of Aaron for one purpose. And I don't know if you knew this, but many times a priest would take an office and that office would be the office of a kingdom or a king. So we get to see a priest that could be a king while serving as a priest. When the Creator is calling the people of Israel out of Egypt, and He brought them to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, He makes it clear that He's going to make out of His people a royal nation. A nation of priests, something that we get to read also in the New Testament in the Brihadashah, when Peter is actually saying that we are a royal nation, a priestly nation. So, yes, this crown is to represent not only the kingdom, the Malkut of Hadonai, but it's also to represent his priestly attributes. We could talk basically about the kingdom and the priesthood of Malkisadik on this subject, but we're not going to be able to cover it. I suggest you to buy my book title, um, the, the Priesthood of Malkisadik, which I speak a lot on this subject of the priesthood debate. Um, but anyway, going back to, the, to this holy crown. In Christianity, in Christian theology, we have, we have to hear, we have hear people saying that there are five different crowns, also known as the five heavenly crowns. But all these crowns, believe it or not, according to scripture, is one and the same. When you get to read in the New Testament, you get to see the crown of life, 
the incorruptible crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of rejoicing. These are not different crowns. And I have heard people even saying that based on your performance as a believer here on earth, that will be the crown that you take in heavens. But no, all these, all these different crowns are one and the same. And all these crowns are represented in the crown that is being placed on the head of Aaron and his children. Well, I hope you had a good time learning a little bit about this week's story portion of Remember that every Shabbat, I always go and a little bit deeper on this week's portion. So I would like to extend an invitation to you so you can join us online or by visiting our congregation, The Awakening Place at 129 Mason Street, or by visiting our website, tapministry.org. Again, thank you once again for joining me on this a uh, few minutes that we talk about this week's story portion title, Tetzaveh. See you then. Bye-bye.